Next week, uh, Lord willing, uh, we're going to begin our study through the book of Leviticus. And I, for one, am eager to kind of put to rest our, our natural or, or maybe unnatural fear of that book. Um, I think it's going to be a helpful study and cause us to rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for just today, we're going we're to be looking at one statement from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And the statement is this, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let's ask the Lord to help us this morning. Pray with me. Father, I pray that what we need you would give us today, that you would feed us from your word. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, help us to understand, and not just understand, but to apply, to, to write on our heart your word today, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have had... Um, Quite a year as a church, last year, I mean, this year is yet to be seen. A year ago this week, um, the elders and deacons were prayerfully considering the possibility, tentatively considering the possibility of moving into this facility. In fact, it was in, on January 11th, 2021, that I sent the following email to the church. Let me just read this email. I sent this uh, almost a year ago, January 11th. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 16, verse 9. Sometimes the Lord directly intervenes in our plans. Very often we don't know that he has intervened until you can see in hindsight. Today we are asking you to pray about an opportunity that it appears the Lord is giving us. As you know, we're in the process of working to add on to our building. Link Construction is working on plans to add a larger classroom, new bathrooms, and a couple new classrooms. This comes after several years of talking, praying, and exploring options as we have seen the church body grow. Last week, someone sent me a link to a real estate listing for a church for sale on the west side of Bell Fountain, about, <clears throat> excuse me, about eight miles from Logansville, just off Route 47. The elders and deacons have gone to look at the building, and we went with the plan to simply do our due diligence and rule it out as an option for us. We thought that the sanctuary is too small for us. This week, we went and set up chairs and determined that we could fit nearly as many people in as we can here. And just, I should just note that after we purchased the building, I realized on the door there's actually a seating capacity sign that none of us saw. We carried a bunch of chairs over and set them up and tried to figure out how many people would fit in here. It's actually a little higher than the other building. The building itself is a little over 2,000 square feet bigger um, than our current building. It has a large commercial kitchen, larger bathrooms, and a large fellowship hall. Additionally, it has more land and is more centrally located for our members and regular attenders. The asking price is about $150,000 more than our estimates for the addition. This means that if we were to buy and then sell our current property, we would come out ahead, financially speaking. At the moment, we're simply asking for prayer. I know that some will love the idea and others will not. 
There's something to be said for remaining in the same approximate location for 198 years. But we also know that we have a message of good news that the world needs, that Logan County needs. And we've been called to preach the word and equip the saints. And we believe that this might be the tool God is providing us to further the cause of Christ in our area for the years to come. This coming Sunday during lunch, we plan to talk about this more. Would you please commit to praying about this? You did. And he answered. But not only did he simply answer that prayer, he also arranged for the sale of our other building, the Logansville building, to another church. Additionally, he made sure that we would be able to continue to be debt-free, which we are, and that even we would have some financial reserves for whatever he has next for us. But let's zoom out a little bit. This week, today actually, marks my 11th anniversary as the pastor of now Redemption Bible Church. We moved into the parsonage on January 1st, 2012, and we attended Logansville Community Church that first Sunday, and I began preaching the following week. Over the past 11 years, we've seen some pretty significant change. In fact, most of you were not here that day 11 years ago. We've seen people go. We've seen people come and go. We've seen people come and stay, and such is the life of a church. And I've been thinking about this day, this anniversary, which for our family at least is significant. And I've been reflecting on not only the, the, the changes that we've seen, whether that's the faces that have come and gone, or the baby boom, or the books of the Bible that we have worked through over the years, of course, the physical move, the name change, the list could go on and on. But I've been reflecting on where we are now and where we need to go. What should this church look like in five or ten years from now? What should your spiritual condition be in the next five or ten years? If you think back to five years ago, January 1st, 2017, are you more mature now, spiritually speaking, than you were then? Have you grown in your knowledge of the Lord and in Christ-likeness and holiness? Has your hunger and thirst for righteousness increased in the last five years, say? Or consider this, I have no doubt that in five years, some of you will be in glory. I miss Dave and Juanita Nesser. I miss Doris Schindewolf, Phyllis Morris, Butch Marvin, Ken and Linda Harford. Saints that have gone before us. Saints that, frankly, kept your seats warm, and yet most of you never met. Many of us in here have experienced some sort of some sort of loss, even heartbreaking loss, over the last decade. And we no doubt will in the coming years as well. I've said before that when I leave this church, whether that's to go to heaven or wherever the Lord leads, 
my desire is to leave this church spiritually healthier than it was when I got here. Of course, that's every pastor's desire, or it should be. Over the past decade, together, we have made great strides in this area. For example, and let me just give you a personal example from me that I am very thankful for. The next pastor will be able to make a living wage, buy a home, invest for retirement. We have and are continuing to develop a, I guess you could say, a support staff to better shepherd the the flock of God that is among us. We have several men who, who serve, willingly serve this congregation in the roles of both elder and deacon. And the Lord continues to bring to us other godly men whom I am confident will serve in those areas in the future as well. We're continuing to work on, on building and, and strengthening relationships with our missionaries so that we can love and care for and better support them. Even, even this year, Lord willing, we're going to add some more. More about that later. The same goes for building relationships with other like-minded churches. We have an excellent Sunday school curriculum that teaches our kids from pre-K all the way through sixth grade the truths of the Bible. Not just moralism, not just how to be a better person, but it teaches them who God is and, and what He has done. We have a bunch of teachers actively teaching the kids of this church all the way through high school the truths of God's Word. We've seen a variety of people put a priority on the proclaimed truth of the Bible. Not only in the sermons, but also in various Bible studies for both men and women, as well as the the content of the the songs that we sing, in the seriousness with which we we take our, our assembled, our gathered worship. The list could go on and on, and yet we know that we will face hardships of some sort in the days to come. We know that we will face some sort of suffering. We know that the day is drawing near, capital D day is drawing near. We know because we've been warned repeatedly in Scripture that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. We know that false teachers will try to lead us astray. And so we have more work to do. We cannot sit and reflect on where we've been for very long. We need to look forward. We need to prepare for what is to come. We need to even set some goals. Now, because of what we believe about the Bible, namely that it is the very Word of God and it is therefore sufficient, our goal actually doesn't change from year to year. Question one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What does that look like? Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 emphasizes this. The apostle John is emphasizing what Jesus said when he says, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. And so I would submit to you that, at least in part, 
glorifying and enjoying God can be summarized in Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 22. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And the key word there is love. Love for God and love for neighbor. It's clearly driven by an obedience to God's moral law. That's even the question that Jesus was answering when he said that. Obedience that is, that is initially imputed to us through Christ at our conversion. And it is something that we strive as Christians to follow as we are increasingly conformed to his image. The Apostle Paul explains how this will come about in Ephesians chapter 4, where he states how God has equipped the church. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16 says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that it builds itself up in love. So that it builds itself up in love. This is our goal. But remember, just as Jesus said that the the fulfillment of the law is love for God and love for neighbor, Paul In that Ephesians 4 passage, he doesn't separate love from truth. Speaking the truth in love, he said. And the truth is only found in the Word of God. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You will not find the truth about love anywhere except for Scripture. In fact, I would argue that the Scripture teaches that the world can't even really know love. Sure, they might understand romance, affection, fondness, but they have largely redefined love, true love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. But why is this our goal? Why is this the goal of the church? It's simple, actually. It's really simple. John 13, verse 35, Jesus said this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Our goal is not just to get through life alive. 
right? Our goal is not just to, as wonderful as this sounds today, our goal is not just to retire to a beach in a warm climate. It's not just to inspire to be a better you, to do better. Our goal is, through speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, that's you, each part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, don't hear me say here, all you need is love, love is all you need. Don't think for a minute that the Scriptures teach us that we can just somehow do better at loving one another. Yes, there are strict and explicit commands in Scripture to love one another, but that love comes from somewhere. John says, love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So think back to that Ephesians chapter 4 passage. Paul writes there that Christ gave pastors and teachers as well as evangelists and prophets and apostles to equip the saints. So let's bring all this together. If the goal of pastoral ministry, uh, of preaching and teaching God's word, if the goal of that is to see you, to see this church transformed and building yourselves up in love so that the world may know that we are his disciples, then what are the things that you need in order to love in this way, in the way that the scriptures command us to love one another? And so I would submit to you that there are three things, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you're not already there, turn there. We're going to be here most of the time. We are going to flip around a bit, but we'll be here mostly. I'm going to read um, verses 1 through 7, and I want you to notice the contrast as Paul is addressing Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in the first verse, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may uh, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. You notice the contrast between verse 5 and really verses 3 to 7, all the rest of those verses. The aim of our charge, Paul says, 
The goal of Paul's commission to Timothy in pastoring the church at Ephesus is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, as opposed to the rest of that stuff that you see written in that paragraph. So let's look at these three, beginning with a pure heart. A pure heart. The heart. The heart is often described in our culture as the root of our emotions, right? That's what, that's what Valentine's Day and the marketing surrounding Valentine's Day is all about, emotion. And so we are told, don't make decisions based on um, our hearts. We should, we should really follow our reasoning. Because where the trouble starts is when we follow our hearts, when we make emotional decisions. And so the mind is often thought of as being the center of our intellect, of our rational thinking. Use your brain, we say. Whereas the heart is irrational. It's emotional, it's flighty, and sometimes as, as Christians we even throw Bible verses on this and we say things like, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? But that verse is not just simply about our emotions. In fact, when the Bible talks about the heart of man, it doesn't refer simply to the emotions of man. When the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things, it's not saying that we shouldn't trust our emotions. It's saying that we, at the deepest part of who we are, are completely wicked and lost without Christ. We are totally depraved. When Paul speaks of having a pure heart here, he's speaking of who we are at the core. When Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, he's saying that, that who we are inside, truly, at the core of our being, will manifest itself in our words. That's because having a pure heart is not just about having our, it's not just about having our emotions under control. It's also about our minds. It's about our will. It's about our beliefs, because what we believe affects how we think, how we feel, and ultimately what we do. So think about this for a moment. Is your thinking always pure? We're talking about having a pure heart, he says. And you can't have a pure heart without having a pure mind. See, we know, we know full well that our minds are not always pure. But we've been told, for example, in James chapter 4, verse 8, to purify our hearts. But this is where the sovereignty of God, even over our minds, comes to the front of the argument. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God gave us... For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And that self-control there, given by God, it means sound judgment or to be of sound mind. That's what self-control means. God has given Christians the ability to use our minds in a godly way. That includes being pure. Because as Christians, we are, we are no longer slaves to sin. And remember, God is sovereign over the human mind. Not just Christians' minds. God is sovereign over all. 
For example, Romans chapter 1, verse 28, kind of to give you the example of the flip side from Christians, Romans 1, 28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, here's why our understanding that God is sovereign, even over our minds, here's why this is important and how it kind of ties together with having a pure heart. I probably said this a number of times. John Owen has that famous statement, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That statement is true. But without God's work, if it's only up to us, we're doomed. If it's only up to us, we're doomed. So we must hold fast to the reminder that God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. It's not just up to us. That means that through Jesus Christ, we can renew our minds. In fact, the promise of salvation is this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the cry of repentance from Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. See, before we can fulfill our mission as a church, Before any church can build itself up in love, we need pure hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, Jesus said. The only way for a church to build itself up in love is to be purified through the blood of Jesus Christ. The only way for individuals within a church To be involved in building up the church in love is for that person to be purified through the blood of Jesus Christ. I read this last week, but but listen again to this description of what worship should look like. This is from Hebrews chapter 10. The preacher of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, and our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We can come together every Lord's day and rest knowing that this is the result of the work of Christ and of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we can press on toward Christ-likeness. Now, a pure heart. I spend a lot of time on that first point because it kind of lays the foundation for um, who we are as Christians and, and as, the, as the church of Jesus Christ. But Paul also says there in 1 Timothy 1.5 that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience. 
a good conscience. What does that mean? A couple of weeks ago in Sunday school, um, I gave you a definition of the conscience as this. It is a God-given moral compass that produces feelings of guilt when wrong is done and joy when good is done. Furthermore, every person has a God-given conscience. Every person. It is seared by sin. And for Christians, it has been cleansed by Christ's blood and is being realigned by chastening and retrained and honed by Scripture. Well, good here, a good conscience, good here means, means perfect or, or satisfied. And the Bible teaches, for example, in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and, and 15, uh, the Apostle Paul says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. That means that God has given all men an awareness of right and wrong according to his standards. He has written this, his law on our hearts, and our conscience bears witness to where we fall according to those standards. Uh, of course, the further and further we get from God, the more and more seared our consciences are. Numb to the law of God. That's how Luther can say in his famous Dita Verms, to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. It's also why the New Testament writers see man's conscience as both, both an instrument of judgment and as a means of guidance. So, for example, our consciences can be weak you may remember from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul writes about not causing the weaker brother to stumble. And he's talking about those who, because of a weak conscience, are easily entrapped in sin. Our consciences also may be defiled. Titus chapter 1 verse 15, he says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. That, that person is not merely easily tempted to sin. They're fully wallowing in sin. They're stuck in the mud of their sin. And then our consciences also can be seared, as I said. And, and this actually should be pretty terrifying to us. In chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, the first couple of verses, he, uh, Paul says this. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. These these liars have moved well, well beyond being easily tempted to sin or stuck in their sin. They're actively leading other people astray is what he's talking about. These are false teachers and the Bible damns them. However, 
to have a good conscience is to heed the law that has been written on our hearts. In other words, to have a good conscience is obedience. To have a good conscience is to, is to let not, therefore, sin reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace." See, this all comes back to the purification that comes um, from and through Jesus Christ. Let us draw near with a, uh, with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, so, so let's put all of this together. Our goal is that this church would build itself up in love with each member working properly. And this love comes from a pure heart and a good conscience, not a weakened, not a defiled, not a seared conscience, but a conscience that submits to God's word, that obeys God's law. But here's the key. Look down a couple of paragraphs there in 1 Timothy chapter 1 to verses 18 and 19. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Faith and a good conscience. Those two things are inseparable. What's the opposite of a good conscience? It's a conscience that is laden with, laden with guilt. But faith reminds us that Christ did what with our guilt? He took it. He took all of our guilt and shame. A good conscience is one that is able to live joyfully because it remembers that all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. A.W. Pink says that the good conscience is one that has been awakened by the Spirit, renewed by grace, purged by the blood of Christ, purified by faith, and is instructed by the Scriptures. This is required, required if we're going to reach our goal as a church. To fulfill our mission as a church of, of building up this church in love. Love for God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love for neighbor, our neighbors as ourselves. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. A sincere faith. A sincere faith is genuine, it's real, it's honest. It, it, it is a sincere assurance of things hoped for. It is a genuine conviction of things not seen. It doesn't, it doesn't leave us when the going gets tough. It, it doesn't depart when, when you face your next tragedy. You don't have to the buzzword these days is deconstruct. 
People face tragedies and they leave the church and they leave the faith. They deconstruct their religious upbringing. But a genuine faith doesn't do that. It doesn't allow you to shake your fist at God. In fact, a genuine faith, a a real faith, a sincere faith causes you to say as Job did, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sincere faith is, is not a lazy assent to the doctrines, to the teaching of the gospel, the scriptures. It's not merely a a formal profession of faith. A sincere faith is not some kind of easy believism. It's It's a real, wholehearted embrace of the promises of God in his word. A sincere faith requires study. It requires using our minds. It requires prayer and a dependence upon the Holy Spirit to help us to understand. It requires a day in and day out, week in and week out, devotion to God, devotion to His people, devotion to His Word. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Think about it. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart. And so we commit to not, not, simply, not simply covering over sin with grace, but we commit to actually killing sin, purifying ourselves. We commit to doing these things daily, regularly, asking God for forgiveness, knowing that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The aim of our charge is love the issues from a good conscience. We commit to to not just simply living moral lives, at least so that people see. Living upright, good lives for the people to see in public. We commit to honoring Christ in our hearts and therefore our words and our actions, our attitudes, We commit to cling in faith and obedience to all of the promises of God. And the aim of our charge is love that issues from a sincere faith. And so we commit to hold fast our confession, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And as a result of those things, we then commit to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we commit to growing up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when, it is, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is our goal. This is our charge for this year. We have no 
idea what tomorrow may bring. You have no idea what tomorrow may bring, let alone five years from now or ten years from now. But we do know that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And those things are ours because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He purifies our heart. He gives us a, a new heart. And trusting in Christ, He has given us feeling in our consciences again. And He has given us a sincere faith. A faith that He has saved us from our sins. And a faith that He will return as King. Pray with me. Father, it is my prayer today that we would be a people who are um, marked by these things. Love from a pure heart that has been made new by the blood of Jesus Christ. A good conscience, good that is perfect because of Jesus Christ. And a sincere faith in Jesus Christ. That we might love one another, love our neighbors as ourselves, that we might love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, this is our commitment as your people, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.